Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Invisalign Economics 101 with Dr. Paul Black. You'll earn two C hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will autom automatically be added to your Invisalign Doctor Site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance. We're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign Doctor site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for C hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Paul Black. Dr. Paul Black has been treating Invisalign patients at his private practice in Bettendorf, Iowa since 2004 and has reached the level of Invisalign Premier Provider in 2006. Dr. Black graduated with degrees in Economics and Business Administration from Augustana College in 1974. He worked for International Harvester Company for six years before entering dental school at the University of Iowa College of Dentistry, where he graduated from in 1985. Dr. Black was a featured speaker at the 2009 GP Summit and has presented his seminar, The Little Practice That Could, to numerous Invisalign study clubs across the country. He has been in private practice in Bettendorf, Iowa for 27 years. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Black. Dr. Black, you now have the floor. Thank you, David, and greetings from the Quad Cities and the great state of Iowa, everyone, and welcome to Invisalign Economics 101. I'm Dr. Paul Black, and uh, I'm definitely feeling autumn here in the air today here in the Midwest. Uh, and the harvest is just about to come in, and the most important thing is Iowa football is in full gear. So for me, it's the best time of the year here in the Midwest. You know, we certainly live in interesting economic times, and today I'm going to attempt to tackle the often confusing and somewhat dry subject of economics. And in case you've forgotten, economics was probably the subject you tried to avoid in school. Uh, it's my challenge today to give you some perspective on the economy and how it relates to your practice and, and hopefully keep you awake at the same time. So it's my sincere hope that you find this presentation to be timely and informative, especially in light of the economic turmoil we're all experiencing. Before we get started, there's a couple of housekeeping items we need to cover first. First, my statements and views are my own and not necessarily those of Align Technology. And at the end of this program, information will be provided on how you can obtain CE credit. My contact information will also be given if you ever need to ask me any questions after the presentation is complete. So it's time to get started. I want to play you a brief audio which will help you get a feeling for my practice. Get straight white teeth from Dr. Paul Black. Invisalign. Straight white teeth. It's not too late to act. Invisalign. Invisalign. The first name in cosmetic dentistry. Realign your teeth in no time. Almost invisibly. You're recreating nature's art and accuracy. Your smile is the first thing people notice. That's a fact. Every time. Get straight white teeth from Dr. Paul Black. Invisalign. So I hope you enjoyed the theme music. Uh, this is a jingle that I'm currently running on radio and TV, and it pretty much describes my message to patients. 
Uh, when you leave this call today, I'm hoping that you start uh, to think about what your message is. Make sure it's clear and concise enough to put on the back of a business card or in a 30-second jingle like this. Just a brief bio on me, I am 60 years old. My wife, Bev, and I have been married for 37 years. We love to travel, golf, ski. And I have one son, Toby, who's currently living in Las Vegas, Nevada. I got my DDS from the University of Iowa in 19, uh, 1985, and I've been in private practice ever since in the Quad Cities. Some of you may know me from Invisalign Study Clubs, as David told you, and from the 2009 GP Summit where I presented the little practice it could. My simple and concise message to you is that Invisalign is one of the best ways to grow your practice that dentistry has to offer. One of the common complaints that I'm hearing from dentists in my travels around the country is that they're having a hard time selling elective services in this economy. So I'm going to try to dispel that myth today. In order to do that, I believe that we need to understand where the economy is at and how we got there. And once we understand the big picture, we'll see if we can apply lessons learned from that to recession-proof our practices. I'm a big believer that we all need ideas to model our practices after. So you may or may not agree with all my ideas here today, but it's my sincere hope that I'll be able to spark your creative thought process. Dentistry was not my first choice of careers. I studied economics as an undergrad, and it's been my passion ever since. And my wonderful wife, Bev, still catches me reading economics books at weird hours in the night. And they always entertain me, but in inevitably they're a great sleeping aid. But I'm proud to call myself an economics geek. I've had the opportunity to study with some wonderful people along the way, including my incredible economics professor, Dr. Bill Conway, who predicted a lot of this chaos back in the 1970s. Dr. Conway loved to talk about demographics and how they shaped the economy. So we'll talk later about demographics and how they've influenced the economic downturn today. I've also had the privilege to study with Dr. Mike Schuster of the Center for Professional Development in Arizona, who's helped me shape some of my core principles for practice management that I'm still utilizing today. These people and others have ultimately given me the fuel that has helped me define my practice strategy, which is bigger is not better, better is better. And I'll explain, explain my philosophy shortly. As you can see, I became certified in Invisalign in 2004, and I've maintained premier provider status since 2006, and I've currently produced over 400 cases. For me, it's been a privilege to speak to many of you around the country, and I want to thank Line Technology for giving me this opportunity to share some of my specific strategies with you today. I promise I will spill my guts here today. I currently practice and reside on the Iowa side of the Quad Cities, which is made up of four primary cities, Rock Island and Moline on the Illinois side, and Davenport and Bettendorf on the Iowa side. We're divided by the Mississippi River, and we're about 150 miles due west of Chicago, which is where I was born and raised before coming to Augustana College in Rock Island in 1970. We're the only metro area in the country that holds the distinction of being north and south of the Mississippi River as the river runs east and west through our cities. The Quad Cities is home to John Deere, Alcoa, and the Rock Island Arsenal. 
As David said, I went to work for International Harvester Company in Rock Island, a farm implement dealer, after I got out of college, and I worked there for six years in accounting and production. I learned about economics right there. Although our economy is heavily influenced by farming here, we are still pretty well diversified. And as a side note, we're also the birthplace of famous jazz musician from the 1920s named Dix Beiderbeck. As you can see in the photo on the right, we have a huge festival each year with a road race that attracts about 20,000 runners from all over the world. Uh, by the way, the Kenyans who are in the race always win the race. And it's a really fun uh, event, and we have many events like this in the Quad Cities throughout the year. And believe it or not, Bettendorf, which is where I practice, was the birthplace of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Club, which, of course, is now located in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is where I happen to have a second residence and spend a lot of my downtime. My practice is best described as an Invis Invisalign niche practice. For those of you who know my story, I once had 11 employees and a constant flow of associates and partners. I've always been trained when I was in production with international harvestry and assembly line mentality. Uh, so I naturally assumed that I could apply, to, apply this to dentistry, but after only nine months of practice, my first partner was shot and killed in a murder-suicide by his wife. For your information, he got caught having an affair with his dental assistant. This was obviously an ugly event, but I figured it must have been a fluke. So I hired an associate shortly thereafter who worked for me for six months and was subsequently diagnosed with a malignant melanoma and died six months later. Again, I assumed this was a fluke event also. But after two more unsuccessful attempts with associates, including the last trying to sell my patients to a dentist down the street and a truckload of staff issues, including embezzlement, I decided I needed a new philosophy or I was going to have to change careers. And that's when I had a moment of clarity. I decided that bigger wasn't better, better was better, and I set out in 1994 to make a practice that gave the maximum amount of return for the fewest days work with the least hassle. I wanted a practice that was more of a type B personality than type A high energy uh, type of practice. I didn't want to see patients every 30 minutes or be on the roller skates all day long. You know what I mean? Albert Einstein once said, make everything as simple as possible and no simpler. And that's what I've tried to accomplish with my practice. I currently work three and a half days a week, and I have three full-time employees and one part-time marketing manager. The population of the Quad Cities is about 300,000, and I draw patients from about an hour away in all directions. It is farm country, and it's not unusual for people in outlying areas to travel to the big city. Invisalign is about 40% of my practice, Hygiene is another 20%, and restorative, which includes cosmetic, crown and bridge, and implants, makes up the other 40%. I don't do any endo or perio, and I do a little oral surgery, and that's about it. For me, this is the kind of practice that I enjoy waking up to every day, and I found this to be a great balance of my time and energy. You may not agree with this philosophy, but it's my hope that it will get you thinking in a different way. 
This is my team. To the left, Crystal, who is my millennial hygienist, is an incredibly tech-oriented person and a great communicator of Invisalign Chairside, which is uh, what I feel is imperative to the success of Invisalign in your office. Uh, I'd like to give her a special shout-out and thanks for her help in this PowerPoint. And in the middle is Sandy, my Generation X Expanded Function Auxiliary Assistant, who is a master of the Itero Digital Scanner that we utilize for both Crown and Bridge and Invisalign. Sandy also teaches dental assisting at our local community college. And by the way, if you don't have an iTero and you're serious about Invisalign, you simply have to purchase one. I believe it is one of the best single purchases I've ever made in dentistry. To the right is Pam, a fellow baby boomer who's, been, who's worked for me for 19 years and, and been through the thick and thin of it all with me. She's the administrative glue and the voice on the phone that holds the place together. So as you can see, I have different generations working in my practice, which helps me to see different generational perspectives. Ray Kroc of McDonald's once said, you are only as good as the people you hire. And I'm here to tell you I have phenomenal people. So let's talk a little bit about learning objectives today. I believe that you can't really understand your day-to-day -day world unless you understand the world around you. The more you know about the world economy, the more you are able to adjust to new paradigms at a quicker pace. Invisalign is a new paradigm that has allowed every practitioner, both GP and specialist alike, an opportunity to hit the refresh button on their, on their old paradigms. Either drill, fill, and bill for GPs or wire breakings only for the specialists. When you return to your practices, take the time to immerse yourself in world economics and make the commitment to make the necessary changes that our world demands. So with that in mind, here are today's learning objectives. First, we want to understand the macroeconomics of the new economy. Secondly, we want to utilize Invisalign as a growth mechanism in our practices. Thirdly, we want to calculate the financial impact of Invisalign on our practices. So I want to talk a bit about pricing strategies, financing strategies, and last but not least, empowering your practice. So here's the big question. Is the United States an economic quicksand? Well, first of all, let me preface this by saying that it's not my intention to take any political side on this subject. We all know what quicksand is, and once you're in it, it's extremely difficult to get out. Obviously, the more you fight, the deeper you sink. Uh, a lot of people in this country feel this way as we speak. If this sounds like your situation or someone you know, you're not alone. We all know someone that's underwater in their mortgage or unemployed or even underemployed. The economic paradigm has changed, and if you are still trying to wriggle out of the quicksand with old ideas, the odds are you're still sinking. I'm hoping you uh, to help you find uh, a lifeline that will help you pull yourself out of the quicksand if you're in this situation. And for those of you who are not affected yet, please do not assume that you're immune from hard times ahead. So the question is, are we a nation on the brink of financial disaster? Well, let me begin to answer that with a story about Albert Einstein. 
Einstein was the guest speaker at a dental convention, and after his speech, he met with a few dentists. He asked the first dentist, what's your IQ? And the dentist replied, it was 140. Einstein was delighted and replied, great, you're a genius. We can discuss my theory of relativity. He asked the second dentist the same question, and he replied that his IQ was 110. Einstein said, well, that's fine. We can discuss, we can discuss global warming. The third dentist sheepishly looked at Einstein and quietly said, well, my IQ is only 85, to which Einstein replied, that's not a problem. So how do you think the economy is going to do? The reality is none of us know exactly how the economy will do in the future, not even Einstein, but we can learn from history and prepare ourselves for all possibilities by making educated decisions. So here are some facts that can help us make some educated decisions. First, we are $42 trillion in personal debt in this country. We are currently $17 trillion in government debt. We are $100 trillion in underfunded government programs, including state, federal, and municipal pension plans, Obamacare, Social Security, Medicare, and the list goes on and on. It's what I, I think the best description of our country right now is that we have excessive debt and deleveraging, which has created what economists call economic winter. And when I say that we have excessive debt, consider these other facts about our national situation. Since 1990, total U.S. debt has risen from 230% of gross domestic, or excuse me, gross domestic product to 350% currently. In 1990, the U.S. statutory debt limit was $2.8 trillion, and it's now almost $17 trillion. You may also be aware that if we do not extend this debt limit by September 30th of this year, that there will potentially be another government shutdown by October 15th. In 1990, the total U.S. debt in foreign hands, countries like China and many others, uh, many others who own our debt, was only $250 billion, and it's now a staggering $5.8 trillion. And here's, here's a really important uh, fact. There are currently approximately 316 million citizens in the U.S. Your share of the current national debt is roughly $52,200, and it's rising daily. And here are some household facts that you might be interested to know as well. Median household net worth has fallen from $266,200 in 2007 to $179,000 in 2012. Mean pre-tax household income has fallen from $116,500 in 2007 to $105,800 in 2012. Savings have decreased from 9.1% in 2006 to 8.7% in 2011. And this is one that's really scary to me. Only 60% of people entering their 60s have retirement accounts, and the average value is only $100,000. Let's go back in recent history and find out what economic philosophies are in place today. 
These are the men whose economic philosophies are regarded as the hallmarks of economics. Adam Smith to the left, circa late 1700s, was the father of modern economics. He wrote Wealth of Nations, which has been called the Bible of free market capitalism. And to the right, John Maynard Keynes, circa early 1900s, developed what is called today Keynesian economics, which championed massive governmental financial stimulus, which he theorized would have lessened the catastrophic effect of, un, of uh, excuse me, of unemployment on the Great Depression. Adam Smith believed that free market capitalism was driven by the pure forces of supply and demand, and he postulated that these forces determine the wealth of a nation. As capital was created, wealth was derived, and consequently, nations who were wealthy tended to have full employment. Smith believed that capitalism and not government was the source of a healthy economy. John Keynes saw the devastating effects of the 1929 depression on employment. He believed that the natural forces of free market cap capitalism would take too long to work after the free fall of the stock market and its terrible effects on employment. He postulated that if governments poured massive amounts of money into the monetary system, that the employment rate would improve more quickly, and that would spare many people from the suffering that followed the crash. Keynes believed that this mon monetary stimulus would be paid for by future growth of the economy as it recovered. Keynes was essentially trying to combat deflation, which is best described as a reduction of the money supply. Deflation kills economies. Since there are fewer dollars to go around, fewer goods and services are purchased, which in turn means companies sell less, which means fewer people are needed in these companies. And ultimately, unemployment skyrockets, and as people lose their jobs, they spend less, and the cycle goes around and around and around. After the 2008 housing bubble crash, the U.S. experienced a rapid deflation in just a matter of days. Remember all the foreclosures and the sudden fall in the stock market? This was all wealth that disappeared, disappeared in a matter of days. So you can probably see that governments want inflation, which actually helps to grow the economy. They do this in a few different ways. First, by increasing the money supply. That is, they print money out of thin air. Secondly, they control the lending interest rate to banks by altering the borrowing, borrowing rate, which is known as the Fed fund rate. And by the way, the Fed fund rate is currently zero, which is the first time this has ever happened in our country. And last, they borrow the money by issuing U.S. treasuries to countries and investors. Primarily, these are all controlled by the Federal Reserve, and by trying to artificially adjust the natural supply and demand of the money supply, well, guess what? Bubbles have occurred throughout history, and any time people get involved with the natural forces of the universe, there can be unintended consequences. So ultimately, we're going to find out in the years to come who is correct, Smith or Keynes. There are only two ways to pay back this enormous debt that the government has produced to combat the 2008 crash. First, we can
cut the budget much like you would do in an economic crunch. This, this process is known as austerity. And secondly, we can increase our gross domestic product faster than the debt that we owe to pay back this debt. Currently, we're growing the GDP by a percent and a half per year since 2009. It is forecast that we're going to need to grow by 5% by 2018, or we're going to risk the possibility that we can't meet our debt service interest payments to investors and we could default. This is why the U.S. was downgraded by Standard & Poor's Rating Service. Do the math. It, it appears that at the rate we are growing, that growth alone will not fix our national debt crisis. So let's talk about macroeconomic principles. How do inflation and deflation affect our economy? First of all, if you have rapid deflation like we did in 2008, followed by rapid inflation, this can be a nightmare scenario. This occurred in Brazil from 1987 to 1980, excuse me, 1987 to 1997, and the result was hyperinflation that made goods and services skyrocket by more than 1,000% in a very short period of time. Brazil is still reeling from this event, even though their economy is starting to improve. People would have fewer dollars to pay for increasing costs of goods and services. So my question to you is, have you been out to the grocery store or gas station lately? What does your common sense tell you about this situation? The new economy may not see employment rates at pre-recession levels for a long time to come. Not only is there a generational shift occurring, but there is a shift from manufacturing to technology going on. We're becoming more reliant on technology and services to drive our economic engine, and the reality is fewer and fewer jobs are needed. What used to take people to accomplish now takes computers or robots. When you look back at the demographics of our country, there are four generations creating an 80-year cycle. If you look back in time, we've had a depression about every 80 years. For example, 2008, 1929, 1849, late 1700s. It's almost a demographic certainty. So it appears that this phenomenon of economic winter comes around about every 80 years and lasts approximately 15 to 20 years. By no means are we out of the woods yet. And by the way, in every case, there has been a major war that followed these economic crises. This is a graph of inflation and deflation since 1872. The average inflation rate has been approximately 3.5%. As you can see, deflation, which is characterized in red, was a constant problem until after the Great Depression when the Federal Reserve was formed. The Fed took control of the money supply and, as you can see, has actually created inflation represented in blue ever since. Even after the housing crash in 2008, deflation appears to be negligible. Of course, you know, you know now 
that this is because we've printed money to, to combat this phenomenon. Please remember that certain staples like food and gas are not calculated in the consumer price index. The average household is feeling the effects of increased prices for daily staples that are a result of increased world demand for things like oil and food. And also, when we have a weak dollar like we currently do, it makes the cost of imported goods ever more expensive like imported oil. So what's our U.S. economic forecast? Well, the Fed's current policy is known as quantitative easing, also known as QE1, QE2, and now QE3, which, by the way, has been going on for exactly one year. In order to prop the economy up after the housing and resultant banking crash of 2008 and 2009, a government stimulus package called TARP was created. Troubled Asset Relief Program. By the way, this is exactly what John Keynes proposed. Because the banks were in serious trouble after the housing crash, the Fed recapitalized the banks immediately with this money. It essentially created it out of thin air by simply printing it. And in order to allow the economy to deleverage after the crash, interest rates have been kept artificially low by the Fed buying back treasury notes and bonds both of which help to dictate interest rates, and by keeping the Fed fund rates at zero. The money for the QE program is being printed out of thin air, as we said, and currently the Fed is buying back treasury bonds and notes to the tune of $85 billion a month or printing about $1 trillion a year. As a side note, the most recent news regarding the QE program came just this last Wednesday when the Federal Reserve decided to continue the current amount of bond buybacks at $85 billion a month. This came as a shock to the market because the Fed had hinted that it was going to decrease the amount of money printed by $15 billion a month. It appears that the U.S. may be addicted to easy money at this point. If you've ever played the game Monopoly before, you know what I mean by easy money. The effect of all this is that as more and more money is being created out of thin air, the value of the dollar is being reduced. That is devalued. The hard-earned dollars you've accumulated are now becoming worth less and less each day as more and more money is being created. For example, let's assume that there's only $100 in the money supply. Now let's assume that the Fed adds another $100 out of thin air. The value of the original $100 is now exactly half of what it used to be. Do you get the picture? This means that it takes more of your hard-earned dollars to pay for the goods and services you purchase. And that in turn creates inflation. And if you'll remember, this is what governments want. Believe it or not, this all works perfectly well unless we lose our status as the world's reserve currency. Currently, the world trades goods and services in U.S. dollars. But if we devalue the currency too much, the world may stop accepting the dollar and will lose that reserve status. As a result, 
the value of the dollar would plummet and even more uh, and more uh, U.S. citizens would uh, have a disastrous fall in their standard of living. This happened to the British in 1967. At the time, the British sterling was the world's reserve currency. In an attempt to pay off enormous debt with cheaper currency, the British devalued the sterling, and overnight they lost their reserve currency status. The result was skyrocketing prices, layoffs, and a real decline in the standard of living almost immediately. The only course of action that we can take, in my opinion, going forward, if we can't grow our way out of this crisis, is to quit printing money before it's too late and to institute significant austerity cuts in our federal budget. Currently, I'm sad to say, we do not have what it appears to be the political will to do this. If we do this, it'll surely be painful for everyone. We have already done this in the state of Iowa when we cut the budget 10% across the board after the 2008 crash. It, it did hurt a lot of people initially, but today our state is running a surplus and considering property tax relief. And I would ask you how many other states can claim that? Normalcy bias is defined as believing that if things are working today, they are also going to work tomorrow. This is the way most Americans have been conditioned to think. We're all guilty of this type of thinking, me included. But if you think that the U.S. is not capable of experiencing true hardship in the future, I would ask you to reconsider your thinking. Let's, let's discuss some steps you can take in your practice to proactively prepare for a rocky road ahead. And then, if it turns out that the economy is mended without any more significant dis discomfort, then the worst-case scenario, scenario is that your practice will be lean and mean with a new philosophy for success. So let's talk about steps to protect your practice from austerity. If your practice is running at more than 60% overhead, it's time to reconsider your practice and management philosophy. My practice is currently running at 52% overhead. High overhead is a lot like having periodontal disease. You may not realize you've got it at first, and by the time you do, we all know it might be too late to fix it. So if you have high overhead, please reduce your overhead immediately if you need to. Secondly, increase your marketing and advertising budget. You have to have a combination of growth and budget control, so it's time to shed the old paradigm that dentists don't advertise. You need patients in your practice who want the services you offer. Next, decrease your prices if necessary. And I'm going to talk more specifically about this in just a few minutes. And last, add procedures that patients want, not just need, like Invisalign. Don't assume that patients will only want the least expensive treatment even in a down economy. So here are some of my building blocks of marketing. These are building blocks that I would recommend to practices who are considering marketing Invisalign in their practices. I won't get into marketing and advertising too much in depth today, but these are some simple ideas that can start you on the right track. First, 
set a monthly budget, any budget will do, and then add 10% of your training month's revenues every month on the following. Now, what I mean by a monthly budget is it can be a little budget, it can be a big budget, but it's a budget you can afford every month. Start off with $500 and make sure you spend that $500 every month, for instance. And then 10% of your trading month's revenues means if I produce $10,000 in Invisalign next month, I'll take 10% of that, or $1,000, and add it on to my $500 budget, and I'll have a budget of $1,500 for the next month to spend. The things that I would spend it on are kind of in order here. I would spend it first on signage and websites. You've got to have great signage, and you'd better have a great website if you're planning on succeeding, especially with a high-tech procedure like Invisalign. Next, I like community outreach. These are simple things to do. Get out in the community to health fairs, bridal fairs, corporate fairs, and get your message out. And you can certainly give special offers there. I found this to be very effective. I would put mass media at the bottom of the list, TV, radio, print ads, and direct mail. Obviously, mass media can be very expensive, and before you get into mass media right off the get-go, you need to have other things in place. The last thing I'd like to talk about is the triangulation concept. I always like to have at least three of these concepts in place at any one time. You can't just do one marketing or advertising scheme and expect great results. You have to have multiple things going on at all the time. It's kind of like a laser beam. A laser beam has three points of light and shoots to one target, and that's essentially what we're trying to do here. So here are some examples of inexpensive marketing. Uh, I, I need to give Dr. David Gates credit for this. I heard this many, many years ago at one of his seminars. And Dr. Gates liked to have a uh, what he called a wall of fame. And this is so simple to put up. This probably cost us less than $100. We painted a wall in Visalign blue. And of course, you can see some of the uh, photos that we've placed are actually before or excuse me, actually after photos of patients. This happens to be in our hygiene department. You can see also that there's one, one uh, space open, and we always tell our patients this is open for them. And here are some more ideas. This is a mall kiosk that I have at our local mall. It's very inexpensive. It's about $500 a month. The malls are always looking for people like dentists to come in and advertise there. And I simply put on brochures with our business cards and also flyers with special offers, and patients just simply walk by and pick them up all year. This produces anywhere from three to four cases a month for us, and it's a very, very effective way to market. To the right is the community health fair. The community health fair is a great idea. I like to go to as many community health fairs as possible. And I have found that these have been very effective. I typically talk to many, many people, get the word out about what we're doing. And I like to make consultation visits right on the spot. It's a very effective way of getting people into, you, into your office. So let's talk about spending habits by generation, because I think it's important that we know this. Let's see how they might relate specifically to Invisalign. 
For me, about the only people that don't qualify for Invisalign treatment are either the very old, typically over age 80, and or the very young, under age 10. Everyone else in my practice is a potential candidate for Invisalign. And when you think about this procedure, you know, it gives you far more possible candidates, and I'm speaking of Invisalign, of course, it gives you far more possible candidates than just about any other procedure in dentistry. The Bob Hope generation is about 75 years of age and older. They're also known as the greatest generation, and they experienced the effects of the Great Depression and World War II. Obviously, they're primarily spending money on end-of-life expenses. However, I have seen these people support grandchildren with gifts towards procedures like Invisalign, so don't discount their importance. Uh, the baby boomers, of which I am one, they range in age from early 50s to early 70s. The boomers are about 80 million strong and have accumulated wealth. However, they've also accumulated great debt. They're busy paying down this debt and, oh, by the way, are busy supporting adult children, especially since the crash. They often spend money on nostalgia and bucket list items. And boomers like to feel good and look good and frequently will pursue procedures like Invisalign because, and I hear this every day in my practice, they got passed over for braces when they were kids. Generation X. This generation ranges in age from early 50, or excuse me, early 30s to around 50. And they are often referred to as the sandwich generation as there are fewer of them than either baby boomers or millennials. They are currently out earning boomers. And since the peak spending age in life is age 46, this generation outspends any other generation, especially on luxury items. But they love a great deal. And since there are fewer Gen Xers than Boomers or Bob Hopers, they're under pressure to support programs like Social Security and Medicare. In my opinion, Obamacare is really an attempt to shift the cost of the baby boomers' medical care to everyone in society because the reality is in the next two generations, the Generation Xers will probably not be able to support this heavy burden. Generation Xers are very likely to do Invisalign treatment for themselves and their teenagers. And last but not least are the Millennials. They range in age from early 30s and below. Believe it or not, they are the largest generation by population, even bigger than the boomers. Their average net worth is a sobering $3,668. They are busy getting educated and unfortunately have accumulated great, great debt in doing so. It is my opinion that the student loan debt may be the next great bubble that we have to deal with. Millennials are having a hard time finding jobs. You'd all know that they like to spend their money on high-tech gadgets like mobile phones because they are the tech-savvy generation. They want to look good, and they like the latest technology like Invisalign. They also like really good deals, and they love social websites like Groupon and Living Social. And since they have fewer dollars to spend, this generation typically needs liberal financial arrangements 
and sometimes assistance from their family to help them start treatment. So what does the macroeconomics of the economy have to do with the microeconomics of your practice? Well, it's a lot like this frozen waterfall here in Iowa. When winter arrives, we need to live, obviously, in a different way. Economic winter is really upon us at this point, and if you weren't prepared in 2008, you may have had a difficult time weathering this event. But let's all hope this is a short winter and that economic spring is on its way. Let's talk about some steps to increase your practice growth. Simple steps. If you're experiencing a slowdown in the growth of your practice because of this economic winter, here are some of my simple ideas to get you jump started. First and foremost, make Invisalign the entry point of your practice. That's right, I said the entry point. It's the number one procedure that you want to draw patients into your practice with. Secondly, you must have a, a vision and a consistency of purpose and what I like to call a drumbeat heard by everybody. Everybody, your staff, your patients, you have to hear the drumbeat in your head. Your family has to hear it. Literally everyone around you needs to know that you're the Invisalign, you're the Invisalign dentist in the area. And last but not least, I'm a goal setter. I love to set goals of 15% growth per year and track results daily. Since 2008, because of this procedure, Invisalign, my practice has doubled in growth. If you build it, they will come. This is one of my favorite movies of all time set in rural Dyersville, Iowa, which, by the way, is where my mentor, Dr. Mike Schuster, started his original practice. It teaches us the value of having faith that that little voice in our heads is all we need to create something meaningful, no matter what other people around you are saying. When I set out to make Invisalign the centerpiece of my practice in 2004, there were a lot of naysayers. But as Dr. Schuster used to say to me way back in 1994, the only way to succeed in life is to paint yourself into a corner. So let's talk about an Invisalign financial impact formula. This is a fairly simple way to calculate profit per case. Simply take your case fee and subtract the following. The cost of acquisition of your patients typically your advertising and marketing charges. Then subtract any financing charges to third-party companies. And then subtract refinement, retainer charges, and any supplies that you might have. And add spin-off procedures and rebates. And that equals profit per case. Let's talk about spin-off procedures. Spin-off procedure, procedures is my nomenclature for those procedures that are performed as a direct result of beginning an Invisalign case. This is the bottom line multiplier. First and foremost in my practice, hygiene, restorative, and cosmetic procedures are all spin-off procedures that are created from bringing Invisalign patients into my practice. 
For each Invisalign case started, approximately 50% more production is added to the bottom line. That's what I said, 50% more production. And we also add additional revenue through ongoing patient referrals from these people. It's not uncommon for them to send their friends and their family to us. The most important thing to remember about spinoff is that it creates practice momentum. And that's what many of us are lacking in our practices today is momentum. This is a great way to get the momentum going. So let's talk about the rules of pricing. I have some simple rules that I've developed over the years that have been successful in my practice. And understanding these rules is imperative to helping with pricing strategies. First, create value before increasing prices. The days of increasing prices across the board may be over, at least for the foreseeable future. If you can't show value in your procedures, then patients may go down the street to your competitor. Value is a multifaceted beast, and we don't have time to tackle that beast today, but it is the key component in any price you set. Although good health care is not technically a commodity, it is still subject to price sensitivity, especially elective procedures and procedures like Invisalign. Raise your prices as high as possible, but no higher. This correlates to value. If you provide extreme value and the public knows it, don't shortchange or undercut your prices needlessly. And raise or lower your individual prices according to supply and demand and not necessarily across the board. We touched on this a little bit earlier that the days of just raising your prices by a percentage across the board, in my opinion, is the old paradigm. In general, if your schedule is booked tightly for any given procedure, then prices for that procedure might be increased. But if you need to create more demand for a procedure, consider lowering your prices to increase that demand. I prefer all-inclusive pricing whenever possible to ensure patients that they won't be nickeled and dying later on down the road. I include everything from treat, uh, excuse me, I include everything with treatment, uh, including one free refinement, a set of retainers, and free bleaching. However, if you have a price point, which I'll discuss shortly, that you want to protect and overhead on the procedures is starting to increase to the point that you need to raise your fees, for example, you're experiencing increasing lab fees, supplies, and so forth, rather than raising your price point, consider a la carte pricing. This means simply charging for services that can be split off from the main procedure. The airlines do this by charging separately for luggage, meals, and seat assignments. With Invisalign, you can possibly charge separately for things like retainers or additional refinements. Buyers tend to underestimate the cost. Most people think in prices 10 years ago. If you charge $5,000 for a procedure, chances are most people will think that it should cost 20% less, say $4,000. We often tend to think in today's, or excuse me, in yesterday's prices, but becoming sensitive to this, in my opinion, is 
extremely critical for pricing, for price, correct pricing. In general, charge less for entry-level services. For our purposes, we want to make Invisalign the front door of our practice, so we charge less to create momentum. Do not mistake this for being a loss leader. We are simply trying to create volume and spin-off with this lower price. I know, bill curves, bill curves bring back awful memories of stats classes, but if you were paying attention, you would know that almost every calculation regarding the population of the world is governed by this curve. Let's assume that the right side of the curve, plus four, represents people who would spend unlimited amounts of money to get in this line. And the left side, minus four, represents those individuals who could not afford Invisalign under any circumstance. As you can see, zero in the middle of the curve represents a price that 50% of the people in your area can afford. So here's the trick. The trick is to find a price point that 75% or minus one standard deviations can afford. When you raise your fees, you are running the risk that you may be eliminating a large number of people under this curve. If you want higher volume, you're going to have to settle on a price that includes more people. Another component of affordability is financing, financing arrangements that we'll discuss shortly. So here are my price point strategies. If there is one thing that causes confusion in most practices, it's pricing. Price points are absolutely imperative to the success and health of the bottom line. Here are some of my specific strategies that may give you a starting point for developing price points in your practice, especially regarding Invisalign. I found that my price point for capturing 75% 75, 75 of the potential patients under the bell curve was $3,995, $3,995. This may differ depending on the size and incomes of people in your community. As, I, uh, as soon as I reduced my fee before 4, 000, or below $4,000, my cases doubled. What I noticed is that when patients came in for consultations, some of them who had had consultations at other offices in our area had been quoted five to $6,000 for a full case. Frequently, they would mention that they remembered braces costing around $4,000 the last time they checked. Therefore, I decided to meet the price that they had in their heads and almost instantly, my cases exploded. If you can beat the average price in your area by even 10 to 20%, you're going to have a leg up on your competition, and your caseload is going to likely increase. One of my favorite memories as a young man growing up in Chicago was this quirky, slightly scary guy named Earl Scheib, who would opine that he could paint any car for only $99.95. These commercials taught me the value of price points. For example, Never charge $100 for something you can charge $99.95 for. Earl Scheid made a fortune doing these commercials. So let's take, let's take a look at a commercial by Scheid. 
I'm Earl Scheib. I'll paint any car for just $99.95. This week only, you'll get polyurethane additive free. A $19.95 value absolutely free. With polyurethane, your paint job will have an extra hard glass-like finish and added durability. Your paint job will be guaranteed not to fade for four full years. Remember, free polyurethane this week only at Earl Scheib's. Right. I'll paint any car for just $99.95. I have to admit that commercial is pretty creepy, but it is amazing what an impact it had. And with Earl Scheib, although I frequently laughed at those commercials, they left a lasting effect on me. If you noticed, not only does he have a price point, $99.95, he also had an, a value-added service, free polyurethane coating, a $19.99 value or 1999, 1995 value, and he also had a deadline on the offer. I constructed an offer very similar to Shive's offers that I use on virtually all my marketing and advertising, including flyers, TV and radio commercials, print ads, and more. It goes something like this. Straight white teeth by Dr. Paul Black. $1,500 off treatment. Regularly, $54.95. Now, only $39.95 includes free bleaching, a $299 value, and in-office interest-free payments. Offer good until September 30th, 2013. So using these principles can have a huge impact on sales, especially if you're consistent with your message, like Earl Scheib. Let's talk briefly about Invisalign financing strategies. This is the second component of a solid strategy to increase sales. If you're still making everyone qualify for third-party financing, you're excluding a lot of potential patients under that bell curve that we spoke about, and you're losing an enormous amount of money to financing charges. Let me explain. Since interest rates are so low on money market and CDs, for every dollar you put in the bank, the rate of return is almost negligible. If you finance someone with a third party, you may lose 10% or more in financing charges. Since interest rates are so low on money market and CDs, for every dollar you put in the bank, the rate of return is almost negligible. If you finance somebody with a third party, you may lose 10% or more in financing charges. Although many of practice management specialists would say this is a crazy idea, why not become the bank at that point? For example, in my practice, I charge a non-refundable down payment up front so the patient has some skin in the game. I usually charge a quarter of my fee as a down payment, and then I structure interest-free payments over the course of the year that we bill out monthly either with a debit or credit card or direct bank withdrawal on file. And if you'll notice, I've kept the down payment under $1,000. That is $9.95, and monthly payments at a comfortable $250 over the course of the year. These figures are also price points that through trial and error we found work for about 75 75% of our prospective patients. I know you're taking some risk here, but in my experience, there are very few people that will walk away from their investment. And after one year, we charge 2% per month on any remaining balances as a prod to get accounts paid off on time. Of course, all this is in writing at the beginning of treatment. And because most cases take about a year or more, this has worked out very well. 
For your information, by the way, express cases, we typically finance them no longer than six months. Accounts receivable has a bad connotation sometimes, but I actually embrace higher receivables with orthodontic treatment. Because ortho is ongoing, you can afford to have higher receivables. It's actually a good thing. So over time, receivables get larger uh, the more cases you do and actually provide positive cash flow, especially in the lean months. My in-office financing strategy looks something like this. Total case fee is $39.95, $9.95 down, $2.50 a month for 12 months, 2% interest on all outstanding balance after one year. Again, please note that I have price points. Last but not least is special pricing. I never like to use the word discount with a patient. For those who pay upfront for their uh, entire case, we offer an additional 5% bookkeeping adjustment for cash, check, or even credit card in full. It's still cheaper than third-party financing, and if the patient thinks they got a great deal, they're more likely to tell their friends and family. So last, we're going to talk about empowering your practice. I've gotten to know some of the biggest producers of Invisalign in the country, and I'm sure that many of them have different ways of integrating Invisalign into their practices. But one thing is for sure, no matter what the state of the economy is, these people are all effective leaders, and they all have, and they all have the following traits which are essential to success. First of all, concentration. They all have a clear vision of their practice, and they don't waffle from procedure to procedure wondering which one will make their practice a, a, a success. And they have all committed to Invisalign as the centerpiece, centerpiece of their practice. They're all competent. They all have made the, competent, uh, the commitment to become educated in ortho and Invisalign, and they have taken advantage of all of Invisalign's many educational opportunities, which I'll discuss shortly. Last but not least, they are committed. They are all determined to be the best, all the time, every time, no matter what the circumstances are in our economy. These people always find a way to prosper. They simply refuse to participate in negative thinking. Are you ready to join them? So here are some of the educational opportunities Align offers. It's an amazing list. In any economy, education is always the way to success, in my opinion. So take advantage of all of these. I have, and it's made all the difference for my staff and I. In particular, we just recently got back from the 2009 GP Summit, which is held every other year in Las Vegas. It's an amazing educational opportunity. Uh, I also audit Clear Essentials 2 classes. I've done it at least four or five times. ATE calls like the one you're listening into. And my personal favorite is the Costa Rica Study Club. If you ever get a chance to go to Costa Rica and see the treat facility, I would strongly recommend it. So, here are some closing thoughts. Invisalign is one of the best products ever made to accelerate practice growth. What other brand is more recognizable in dentistry today? The answer is there is none. Invisalign has been a strong and solid performer, even in a down economy. I can personally attest to that. 
While other dentists around me have struggled, my practice continues to grow as a direct result of this product. And Invisalign will continue to be the leader in clear orthodontic therapy. Others are trying or have tried, but no one, and I mean no one, has the research and development or the facilities that Align does. In my opinion, Invisalign is the new dental economic paradigm. So if you're ever in Iowa, take the time to enjoy our beautiful landscapes and just don't drive through on I-80 at 90 miles an hour. Make sure, of course, that you stop by and say hello if you're in my area. I think that you'll find that we have a lot of basic values here in Iowa that seem more important than ever in this ever-changing world. So I would like to sincerely thank you all for listening in today. And although we've been through some rough economic times in the economy and our future is uncertain, you can take steps right now to weather any storm. Thank you and good luck in your Invisalign journey, and I'll be available to answer all questions. And, of course, feel free to contact me anytime you have a question. Thanks again. I want to thank Dr. Black again for a great presentation and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us, and we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much.